Hey, do some fans actually think that you're responsible for Colin Kaepernick's anthem protest? Yes, so many people. I've, I've had countless people reach out to me suggesting that I told Colin to protest in the beginning, <laughs> which is completely opposite of the truth. I am defending Colin's rights, and I always have, and all these guys' rights, because those are the rights that I fought for, period. Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast, episode number 12, and this is an episode that I am pumped to bring to you because Veterans Day is this week, and with so many important conversations taking place right now, so many disagreements and arguments bleeding through from politics and into sports, there is nobody that I would rather chop it up with than Nate Boyer, and this is the perfect place to do it. Nate's a Green Beret. He served multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and even though he had never played football in his life, he walked on to Texas, and he earned a scholarship after teaching himself how to long snap. He also earned a shot with the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. And while he did not stick in the NFL, he made an impact there as well, connecting with Colin Kaepernick after writing an open letter to him, and he's continued to lead the conversation even now, even though it's put him at odds with people he served with, people in the military, and even the President of the United States. So agree with Nate, disagree with Nate, misunderstand what he's saying, but do me a favor, listen to Nate, hear Nate, and hopefully learn from him. This is somebody who continues to lead from the front. Pot up, episode 12 starts right after this word from Da Vinci. In today's digital business world, the face-to-face meeting still matters, but you can skip the noisy coffee shops and expensive hotel conference rooms and simply book a Da Vinci meeting room. Da Vinci provides instant access to over 5,000 incredibly affordable meeting rooms in well-known office locations in every city, and they make it so easy. Just search, book, and meet. Your DaVinci Meeting Room comes fully staffed and equipped with all the latest tech plus high-speed internet. Whether you need a day office or a conference room, a boardroom or a training room, DaVinci has exactly what you need to make your next business meeting a complete success. Book your space right now at davincimeeting.com slash Rome and the first hour is on them. That's davincimeeting.com slash Rome. They pay for the first hour. Terms and conditions do apply. For details, see davincimeeting.com slash Rome. Where are you holding your next meeting? Now, if you've ever wondered why I clear the tape on the voicemail before the long-form conversations ensue, it's because of episodes like this one. Because behind this juvenile answering machine where morons abuse an open hotline every single week, I had this amazing discussion with somebody that I've got tremendous respect for, Nate Boyer. And there's no way in hell I'm going to chase that with anything that I'm about to hear on this voicemail. So if ever there was a reason to get something over with and out of the way, it's this week's voicemail. So let me give a few of you imbeciles what you came here for in order to give you what you need and what the rest of us want to hear. You have 13 new messages. First new message. Romy, hey, what's up, man? This is Paulie and Indy. Hey, I wanted to thank you for your interview with Dana White on your podcast. And I want to thank Dana White for teaching my kids the seven words that you can't say on TV. Thanks, bud. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy, I called it a little bit ago, dog. I'm sorry, dog. I was, like, pretty drunk and shit, and I still am. But Dodgers are going to whoop the Astros tomorrow. And I understand that it, sound, it seems kind of like, eh, eh. 
because uh, Verlander is pitching. But we're going to whoop that ass on. Con. Look at 3-3, right? And then game seven. We win. I stop smoking weed and I stop drinking beer for the rest of my existence, dog. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Justin Turner here. I got a confession, man. I'm not Justin Turner. I'm Teen Wolf. And I'm 30 years older. And that's a thing. Your hair doesn't turn gray. It turns orange when you get older. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Romy Bones. Matt in L.A. There's more balls flying out of the World Series ballpark than a Chatsworth game. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Tommy Lasagna here. If you don't win Game 7, it doesn't mean shit. Message deleted. Next message. Yo, Iray. What up? DW calling from Houston. Scoreboard, baby. Silk, what up, bruh? Scoreboard. Hello. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. This is Wes. Looks like uh, Matt in L.A.'s prediction for you, Darvish, going seven strong. Uh, uh, maybe he met batters, but thanks, Jim. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome. It's Corey Pavin. It's that time of year again. Next Saturday is my annual charity golf tournament. This year we got Mike Shanahan, Monica Salas, Gary Gaiety, Emerson Fittipaldi, Zane Smith, and Randy Johnson playing. And for the first time ever... We have Chris Taylor from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hope you can make Message deleted. Next message. Romy, it doesn't matter if the Giants finish 40 back. They're going to turn it around next year. Madison, he's going to stay off of those damn dirt bikes. Yeah, stay off those damn dirt bikes, dude. So you don't fuck up your season again, boy. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim Rome, it's 12 Wood. What does Justin Kish and Najee Davenport have in common. That's right, Jim. They're both professional athletes. Message deleted. Next message. I'll tell you what, Rome, it's Gruden. I'm back, man. I'll tell you what, Vance Mack. You do a really good job here, man. I love the podcast. I'll tell you what else, man. That Dana White thing, I'll tell you what. He said some fucking really interesting things, man. I've had a few beers, man. I'm going to go back to bed, man. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, we in traffic heading from the Superdome. We heading for the Buffalo Mafia next week. Buffalo Mafia too? Who that, baby? Who that? Message saved. Next message. Hi, Rome. This is Andy Rooney. You know what I don't understand? They call it daylight savings time when you're not really saving any daylight at all. I don't get it. Rack me. I'm out. Message deleted. You have no more messages. Seriously, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to do with this thing at this point. I don't know how to choke this thing out. It's getting worse, clones. It's getting much worse every single week. Brilliant comedic stylings from the likes of Tommy Lasagna and Corey Pavin. Hey, listen, Saints fans, I understand that you're all hyped up, but it's not the Buffalo Mafia, it's the Bills Mafia. Or how about 12-Wood coming in and trying to sneak in a Justine Kiss joke? Very funny, Woodman. What do you say we all just move on and pretend that that never happened, and that's about four minutes of our life we'll never get back? Hey, Fabian, good news, dog. At least you don't need to quit baking and drinking.
Now, what do you say we all move on to something that will actually make a legitimate difference in our lives? The Casper mattress. You know, it's so funny. Before I got my Casper mattress, I was a bad sleeper. I'd toss and turn all night. I'd wake up achy and sore. I never put two and two together. My old mattress was the problem. Then I got a Casper mattress, and I've been sleeping cool and comfortably every night since. It's been life-changing. Casper uses design feedback from over 500,000 customers like me. Their sleep scientists have taken that feedback and created a remarkably supportive bed. Casper's comfort foams guarantee that you sleep cool and provide the right pressure relief and spinal alignment so you can keep perfectly balanced in cushiony comfort. Plus, Casper lets you try it for 100 nights in your home risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a box so small you will not believe it holds a mattress. And they'll come pick it up if you don't love it, and they will refund you everything, no questions asked. You deserve to have a great night of sleep every single night. Get a Casper mattress like I did. Go to Casper.com slash Rome50. Use the code Rome50 and get 50 bucks off towards the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Rome50, code Rome50 for 50 bucks off. Terms and conditions do apply. If you don't know Nate, here are your cliff notes. Nate Boyer left home after high school looking for something bigger. He bounced between odd jobs in Los Angeles. He lived out of his car for a time. He tried acting. He thought about becoming a firefighter. And then he saw a Time Magazine article with photos of the genocide in Darfur. He found his something. He jumped a bird and he went to help. Then he doubled down and enlisted in the Special Forces. He made the Green Beret. He served in Iraq and Afghanistan. He earned a Bronze Star. He then went on to play football at Texas, and he earned a scholarship as a long snapper, even though he had never played a down of football in his life. Nate Boyer has also been out in front of the controversy surrounding Colin Kaepernick ever since he wrote him an open letter last year, and he moved Kaepernick from sitting during the National Anthem to taking a knee, and it's a distinction that Nate Boyer makes. He's also still out in front of it right now. And as the discussion about protests and the national anthem continue to blur the line between politics and sports, Nate finds a way to take an issue that so many people want to see as black and white and then does what so few can. He sees both sides. With Veterans Day later on this week, Nate, I thought it was a perfect time to reconnect with you, rap about your story and some of the issues of the day. How are things, Nate? Doing well, man. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, thanks for everybody overseas fighting right now and everyone that has in the past and, you know, those that paid the ultimate sacrifice. Very, very honored just to be a part of that community. No, Nate, while you and I have spoken in the past, I think that there are probably still some folks listening that may not know your background or story. So let's take a few moments and reset this. You're from Northern California, and then after high school, you decided not to go the traditional college route. Instead, you were a deckhand on a boat, you trained to be a firefighter, you did some acting. So at that point in your life, how would you describe yourself, and what was your mindset then? Man, I was just, I mean, in a lot of ways, similar to now, uh, except I didn't have any success, but I was definitely searching. <laughs> and I think I'm still searching. That's just kind of who I am, trying to figure out, you know, where I fit in in this, in this crazy spinning ball of chaos. Um, so, you know, I, the difference between now and then is, you know, back then I didn't have any purpose. I didn't really feel like I had a specific mission. I felt like if I wasn't here on earth, uh, the world would not be any different. You know, I wouldn't really be missed too much, maybe by my family and stuff like that. But it, I didn't really, uh, fit in in a sense of, I didn't have a specific mission to wake up for every day and something that really uh, made a difference in other people's lives. 
So you end up going to Darfur in Western Sudan. At that time, what inspired you to go there? And then what did you see and do in your time there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was a, it was a, it was a Time Magazine article that I read back in, uh, I guess this was 2004. So it's the height of the of the genocide in, uh, in the Darfur region of Sudan. And I just wanted to help out in some way. I wanted to, I wanted to find a way to potentially save somebody or be a part of, of making a difference in some person's life, even if it was just one person. I, I wanted to feel like I mattered in that way. And those, that article, those photos just spoke to me in a way I'd never been spoken to. I mean, it, it just grabbed me. Uh, it was just so incredibly sad to know that, that genocide exists uh, in our world in that way. I, I couldn't believe it. And until I really got there and gained that perspective, um, you know, I, I, I can't, I couldn't really conceptualize of it. And I knew in that moment, uh, after spending just those couple months there with those people that I wanted to fight for people like that. And I wanted to continue to have that element of service in my life in some way. Um, so that's ultimately what led me to uh, thinking about joining the military. So then you do come home, and you want to continue that service, and you join the Army, but not just the Army. You want to become a Green Beret. What was it about that that grabbed your interest? The, the biggest part about that was the, the, the Special Forces mission. The Green Beret uh, motto is De Oppresso Liber, which means to free the oppressed. So everything that we do overseas, you know, we, we are doing alongside indigenous forces by, with, and through uh, the local people. So... We're in Iraq and Afghanistan. We're not only training them, uh, but we're fighting alongside them. We're living with them. They become our brothers in arms in, in a different way uh, than the brothers in arms that we have to the United States of America. But, uh, but you gain that mutual respect for one another, even though you, you disagree on many things and uh, simple customs and cultures even. You, you, you respect them, and you learn to fight alongside those people and trust them as much as you possibly can uh, because you have to or, or the mission will be a failure. Uh, and so that that I gravitated towards that because of my time in the Dar- Darfur and wanting to fight for those that can't fight for themselves and these people um, of the land that we're over fighting in. I want to I want to know that I'm helping cultivate uh, them and train them and, and eventually, best case scenario, hand off uh, some sort of a product to them that they can defend themselves. And that's a that's a long hard road. Uh, but that was at least what I was attempting to do, and that's what we always try to do in the, as a Green Beret. So I would imagine, Nate, you saw many things there. You did many things there. As an example, in 2008, you were in Iraq, and an IED took out the vehicle in front of you. What do you remember about that? Yeah, I mean, that was the first time I'd, uh, I mean, I'd, seen, I'd seen death before, but that was the first uh, de- dead American that I knew, someone that I was fighting alongside. And, and uh, you know, that... That was hard for me. I mean, that was just, it was heavy. It made it even more real because of, that easily could have been me. I, I, I related to that person so much. And I remember, I remember kneeling on the side of the road, uh, pulling security while this was happening. And the Humvees, you know, in flames uh, behind me and, and our medics pulling out people and actually saved a couple guys. And, um, but I, I remember smelling, you know, something that smelled like barbecue chicken and wondering, like who the hell could be barbecuing right now? And then it hitting me and realizing that that was a torso of one of my brothers, you know what I mean? And that's what that smell was. And it was just to see that and to know, I mean, that guy has a family and he's not coming back. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it hits you. I mean, it, it, it is, is very, it's very hard to, hard to deal with. And it's something that you'll never forget, but the best way to, to honor that, that service members, you know, 
the way you, you push on with the mission and the way you continue to live your life moving forward. So I had to understand that even though in that time of tragedy, I mean, you are, yeah, you're, you're, you're suffering. It's, it's, it's very, it's very difficult. Nate, it's absolutely chilling to even hear much less to experience. And you start to touch on this, but to go through something of that magnitude, what kind of an impact has your time in those situations had on you as a person and going forward? I mean, it changed, it's, changed me so much. Uh, it, it made me not only more and more appreciate uh, the, not only the freedoms, but just the security and general safety we have in, in this country, even in these times of terrible tragedy where we've got what's going on in, in Vegas and just uh, recently in Texas. I mean, these horrible shootings that happen. Um, still, this country's one of the safest and the greatest uh, in the world. And so, yeah, to to understand that and to, and to kind of gain my patriotism in these other austere environments and uh, crazy wild parts of the developing world, um, not so much fighting for people back here, but fighting for people in those places that may never have this just because they realize and understand so many of them how, how lucky we are as well. And they see this place as a beacon of hope. Like it's a double edged sword because it's, it's going to affect you forever. And you're never going to be able to erase those memories, and you don't even really want to. I mean, I want to honor those individuals best as I can with the way that I'm I'm living, but also I want to continue uh, to fight to to free the oppressed, just like our motto says. And then Nate, there's football. Then there's football, and it may be secondary to all of this, of course, but there was football. For instance, at what point did you first start thinking about trying to play college football? And at that point, how much organized football had you played in your life? I never played. Growing up, I never played football, never played a down of it. And, uh, and I always regretted that because it was my favorite sport. And what really pushed me to go do this was when I was in Iraq, uh, I mean, football was an escape. Watching college and NFL games through the, through the fall and the winter when you're on a deployment was, was an escape for me. I mean, sometimes I'm watching football games at 5 in the morning after coming off a mission, and I just, you know, you, need, you want to decompress and escape escape from the tragedies and the realities of war, the horrors of it, and, and just dump all that. And just, you know, it was just about sports for me. And it was just about, you know, a great piece of our culture and society uh, and that competition that we love and just those feelings. But it was like, that's how I shut off. And that's how I kind of um, compartmentalized a lot of things. And so when I came back, I wanted to go do that. I wanted to go be a part of that and kind of live my American dream out. And, and that's uh, that's why I decided to go walk on at Texas. I had one of my best friends who, who passed away in 2012, unfortunately. Um, before I went off into school, he, he was the one who was pushing me and telling me, hey, man, you need to, you need to go play for, play for a big school. You know, because I was talking about going to a smaller college. He's like, no, man, go to a big school. You can do it. Look what you did here in the military. You don't ever sell yourself short. And, and so, you know, I kind of tried to live by that. And that's why I chose, you know, ultimately with the Seahawks. It was down to I had a choice between the Seahawks and the, and the St. Louis Rams at the time, and I wanted the bigger challenge. I wanted, even though I had a, probably a smaller chance of making that team, I wanted to go after that. So uh, that, that stuff always kind of stuck with me ever since my time in the Special Forces. I want to be very clear about this, Nate. You had not played a down of high school football in your life, and you decided not only to walk on in college, not just any college, mind you, but Texas. You explained how you got the idea, but I want to know, what was it like when you showed up for the very first time? <laughs> well, uh you know, Coach uh, Coach Brown and the rest of the staff, Mac Brown, uh, they didn't know I hadn't played. I kind of kept that a secret. Probably <laughs> right. smart to do so. Right. Um, you know, but I was in shape. I was in good condition. But I just had, I remember the first day of 
So I go through I go through the walk on uh, tryouts, which is mostly conditioning tests, and they're just pushing guys to their puking, and you know, or guys are quitting. And you know, of course, I wasn't going to quit, and I was in uh, I was in good enough shape that I could handle all that. But I had no idea as far as <laughs> when it came to putting the pads on. Literally, uh, first day in the locker room when we are going into full pads, I'm watching these other kids put their pads on first because I don't exactly know how to do it. Wow. And uh, you know, and I just I just sort of fake it till you make it kind of thing, and. Uh, and then I went out there and, you know, I went as hard as I could and got trucked day after day and, you know, trying to figure out how to backpedal uh, when you haven't had that properly taught to you is, a, is always a, an adventure and, and all that stuff. But I, I figured it out. And, and eventually, you know, I was just trying to find a way on the field. That's where uh, the long snapping thing came in. I just wanted I wanted to play meaningful snaps. It was awesome being a part of the team and being able to lead the team out of the tunnel with the American flag before every game was something I cherished and loved. But I wanted to play. And um, so I identified the most thankless job on the team, which is long snapping. And uh, the starter was graduating. And so I started trying to <laughs> figure that out before I went. I was going back overseas while I was in college. Uh, every summer I'd go back uh, and deploy for a few months and getting ready to head back overseas. And I told Coach Brown, I said, Coach, I'm going to be your long, I want to be your long snapper next year. And he said, OK, uh, well, have you ever long snapped before? And I said, Coach, I've never played football before. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think I, I think I, I think it's possible, you know. And he's like, "All right, sure." So, I took a couple balls with me, and I snapped every day overseas, and came back, and was fortunate enough to, to win that job. What an amazing, amazing exchange that was, Coach. I've never played football before, but but you did, Nate. You did, and you did an amazing job. You had an amazing run. So why not think? Why not take the ultimate shot? Why not try and make an NFL squad? And as you point out, you had an opportunity with St. Louis, or with the Rams, I should say, and also with Seattle. Pete Carroll brought you in as an undrafted free agent. What was the experience like with the Seahawks? Yeah, you know, I... I wasn't sure. I was I was pretty sure college was going to be it for me, just because I was 34. Uh, when I, I just turned 34 after my senior year, and uh, I got invited to play in this senior All-Star game, actually the day before my 34th birthday. And I go out there, and I play in this game, and, and that week of practice is they had a bunch of scouts out there, NFL scouts, that were like, look, I, I mean, I weighed about 190, 195 pounds in college. They were like, you're going to have to put on at least 30 pounds, but you should you should go for it. You should give it a shot. So I started eating like crazy, lifting different, lifting twice a day, cut out cardio, <laughs> and I put all this weight on. Um, and did pro day and all that, and you know draft rolls around, and um, yeah, Coach Carroll and, and, and John Schneider, uh, Seahawks GM, give me a call right after the draft was over, and just asked if I'd like to be a Seattle Seahawk, and uh, of course, I mean that was incredible. My my grandfather grew up in the area up there. My dad uh, grew up in, in Oregon, so uh, it just made perfect sense. And plus, they'd been to back to back Super Bowls. Like this was this was the challenge that I was seeking, and. I mean, just to get that call, get that opportunity to go up there, you know, spend spend a few months with the team through training camp, get to play. I got to play in a, in a preseason game, and, and and I did really well, you know. And I, and the the greatest honor for me up there was once again being able to lead that team out of the tunnel with the American flag. But then to actually be on the sideline, uh, you know, during the, during the anthem was really powerful for me. It was really special because we didn't do that in college. In college, you, the teams typically stay in the locker room when the anthem is played, and so this was like. I mean, this was something that was really, really special for me. And, you know, I, I, I broke down, man. It was like, I, this was not long after I went on, I, you know, I went on your show. And, and it was just like this emotional, emotional moment for me because I was thinking about everybody that was overseas watching that moment maybe, just like I had several years back, you know, watching, watching the games. And then 
you know, my brothers in, in arms that didn't make it back, never got to see that moment. And, and, and then just for every, everybody, not just veterans, but everybody in their lives that had a dream that was just afraid to take a chance because they're worried about getting cut, you know, which ended up happening anyway. <laughs> but to make it that far, just because I, I wasn't worried about that. I didn't care what other people thought, you know, I just, it was what I love to do. And in this country, fortunately, we can chase those dreams. You know, we can live out those American dreams and we can take it as far as we want. We love our underdogs here. That is, that's not like that everywhere. So that was, that was what that moment meant. And I'm just so fortunate to, for it to work out. So many people helped me along the way, but I'm not going to lie. I mean, I worked, I worked my ass off for it. And and I'm, I'm damn proud that I got to be an NFL player, even if it was just for a day. Oh yes, Nate. Absolutely. And you're so right. That was right after you came on our show, you had that opportunity that was an amazing thing to see. You know, you mentioned the anthem, which brings us, Nate, to the present day. As a member of the military, what was your reaction the first time you saw Colin Kaepernick sit for the national anthem? I mean, I was I was hurt more than anything, you know, and I think that hurt manifested through anger. And uh, I said some things to friends of mine that, you know, about him because he doesn't have my perspective, you know. But then I, I stopped and tried to, think reasonably about this and, and understand that I don't have his perspective or anybody else's for that matter. And, uh, and I thought, you know, maybe there's a better way for me to come at this situation in this conversation. If I really want to see things change, if I want him to stand, I, I would rather have him stand because he feels proud to, or he wants to. So how do we get to that point? Uh, by, you know, for him, maybe it's seeing these changes that he wants to see. So instead of, you know, d- doing something, negative or just, you know, shouting all over social media and flipping out. I, uh, I was asked to write a, a, an opinion piece actually by the army times. And I, I think what they were looking for was just what we're talking about right now, but that's not what I wanted to do. So I told them I, I would write an open letter to Colin, but it was going to be just my experiences, uh, my relationship to the flag, the anthem, but also trying to come from a place of understanding. So we can at least move forward together on this bill. And, uh, and I think a lot of people were thinking that and feeling those same things I wrote about because the response was over, overwhelmingly positive. And, you know, it went viral. I mean, that, that, that letter went everywhere. And uh, the next day, Colin's, public, Colin's publicist is reaching out to me because he wanted to sit down and have a conversation about this whole thing. So um, I thought that was interesting. I had no idea it was going to blow up like it did, but it ended up being a positive thing. We, we sat down together and had a face-to-face meeting uh, the following day after after he reached out and through that conversation is where you know I kind of suggested and he decided it was uh, maybe a good thing to to take a knee instead uh, alongside his teammates, which many people will contest. A lot of people still see that as disrespectful. They have rights to they have every right to feel that way. But I thought it was at least better than sitting isolated from his team because he was alongside his teammates and it was more of I guess a sign of reverence to me. I mean, we take a knee to pray and to proposed to our wives and which I haven't done but uh all those things you know I mean that is that is what that meant to me and so and I think he he got that and so at least it was he was willing to show that he was going to give a little bit here and and is open-minded in some ways at least in that at that period of time so Nate clearly in your mind there is a big distinction or a significant enough distinction between sitting and kneeling but do you think in the average fan's mind, do they see any difference between those two things? If they don't know the story behind it, then no. I think it's important to know the story, though, to know, to understand that he was doing something else. And the reason why he decided to demonstrate in a different way 
was through that conversation with a service member and, you know, that he was willing to at least alter or adjust um, because he didn't want to hurt people in the military. Now, how the military or anybody perceives it is not up to Colin or anybody else that takes a knee. So that, that's, where, that's an important thing to remember as well because, you know, they may say all day long that this isn't about the military, this isn't even about the flag or the anthem, but that doesn't mean I'm, I or anybody else isn't going to feel that way about that. I mean, that you, you, you don't get to decide how I perceive it or how I take it. And I think that's important as well for these players to understand because a lot of them are like, why are you so upset? I'm not saying that. And it's like, well, that's how I'm taking it. That's how I'm hearing it. And that's how I'm seeing it. So, you know, that it's, it's complicated, obviously. And uh, there's going to be people that are going to be upset with it no matter what somebody does, you know. But I'm also, I mean, I, I take issue with people that, stand out of obligation because they don't really care, you know? So well, what about that? I mean, is that not, is that not something as well? Nate, do some fans actually think that you're responsible for Colin Kaepernick's anthem protest? That it was your idea that yes. you encouraged him to do it? Yes. So many people. I've, I've had countless people reach out to me through whether social media or email or whatever saying, you know, blaming me saying I, or, or saying even media has done this sometimes suggesting that I, told Colin to protest in the beginning <laughs> or something like that, which is completely opposite of the truth. I mean, I am defending Colin's rights and I always have and all these guys' rights. So at the end of the day, I'm defending people that I disagree with, which is a very hard thing to do uh, because those are the rights that I fought for, period. Whether I agree with them or not, it's not what's important. So, but, but it's been twisted and turned in so many ways. People think that, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-protest, you know, and I suggested that, yeah, these players protest against social injustices, which is not the case, especially during the anthem, it's not the case. But uh, I feel like if you feel strongly about a cause, you should definitely do something about that, take action in some way. But and never have I ever suggested that somebody protest uh, something. I, I, I personally think there's other ways uh, that are better uh, that you can get these things done. But this thing has started a conversation. It's, it's an important one. And it also has led to a lot of these players in the league who are taking action, are doing great things, and I think they need to be recognized as well. You know, Nate, it's one thing to have somebody anonymous on Twitter or social media come at you a certain way, but then I would imagine it's another for those that you know, maybe those that you've served with, who have really strong opinions as well. I know, I guess, more reportedly, some have actually told you, quote, you're a disgrace to the Green Beret, you're a disgrace to us. I mean, Nate, for instance, and tell me I'm wrong if this hasn't happened, but when a fellow soldier says, Nate, we just buried another one of our own, you know it's the worst thing ever. You know this. You're one of us. How can you kneel with him? What is your response? Well, my response is I've never kneeled, <laughs> and I never would, hmm. uh, first of all. Uh, and that's another common misconception. People think that, that I'm kneeling and, and I'm protesting <laughs> the anthem, which I'm not. Uh, but also... It is a very difficult thing, and I have to be willing to take those bullets, just like Colin or anybody else protesting has to be understand and willing to take that kind of ridicule and understand that you might lose your job, you know? And maybe if you're willing to do this, that football isn't the most important thing. Maybe, maybe you should move on from that and you know, dedicate your life to this, this mission or cause, if that's what you really believe, because you have to understand that by, by – putting yourself out there in that way that, that not everyone is going to accept this. Not everyone's going to be okay with it. A lot of people are going to be angry. And I knew that was going to happen to me. I, I knew, I knew I was going to get some blowback from it. It, it. it doesn't make it hurt any less. It still sucks when, you know, people you served with friends of yours, they don't, maybe, maybe they don't even understand the whole story or maybe they do. And they just so adamantly disagree with my opinion, which they have every right to do. 
it, it still hurts to hear those things and to feel those things. But like when it comes to a situation with the with the other soldier that that wrote you know wrote me and told me about just leaving a military funeral, man, I, I carried I was a pallbearer at my best friend's funeral, you know, and he died way too young and. It's a horrible thing. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing. I mean, the 21-gun salute and the anthem and the folded flag handed to his wife and just like that, it does mean something different to us, very different, you know, and it is, and I, anybody that has ever you know, protested that flag or set it on fire or in any way, it, I challenge you to try and do that after going to a military funeral because it changes things for you when you see that and experience that firsthand. But on the flip side of that, you know, I also, I haven't lost a family member or a close friend <clears throat> to, you know, a, 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 a maybe a police shooting that shouldn't have happened. So there's strong feelings that come with that experience, I'm sure. I can't even imagine. So I get it. Like, I understand. It's just without the other side's perspective, you, you, you can't, you can't just stand there and say that what you're doing is right. And there's like a, there's a, there's a right or wrong or like a, good versus evil in this whole thing because most of these people most of these people not all most of these people involved in all these situations are good people that have either made some sort of mistake uh, a bad mistake or people that are not trying to hurt everyone by protesting in some way they just feel strongly about a cause and so we have to all understand that and and try to have more of these conversations just listen to one another uh even when we don't agree which brings us to where we are right now. I know you recently sat down, Nate, with a group of special operations veterans. They shared their thoughts on the national anthem protests. I would imagine they all kind of had different points of view, maybe, or different takes. Was there any one thing that everybody agreed upon? Okay, so what was so interesting about that is just just a few days before that, I sat down at a different roundtable with, with Heinz Ward and Spike Lee and Anderson Cooper on CNN. And it was it was very cool. It was good that we were able to share things, talk about things, different opinions, different perspectives. But I feel like the conversation didn't really move anywhere necessarily. And maybe that's just because it was a, you know, it was a big, it was, it was a news show, a big news show, uh, big media. I don't know. But then when I sat down with these vets and most of these guys were pretty conservative, to be honest, but they're very open-minded. They've all deployed, they'd all done things. And, uh, there were, yeah, different people in the special operations community, Marines, Navy SEALs, uh, and myself and, the end of this thing where we all came together and, and kind of agreed on, not kind of agreed on, fully agreed on, was that, that Colin, believe it or not, Colin should be the one sort of trying to unify our country and maybe bringing us back together, which I thought was like, I was kind of, I, I took a step back and was like, wait, what? What are you guys saying? Hmm. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And it, was, and it was interesting because they said, look, I don't agree with him, but, you know, he's obviously got a big following. You know, he's a powerful figure in this movement. And... If he really wants to make a difference, I mean, that's where we're hurting the most as a country is this divide, you know, this divisiveness. But he could be a part of, of really bringing us back together if he continues to embrace the other side and listen. And so then we, we talked about, you know, this, this, this dream meeting we have of him sitting down with President Trump and just having a civil conversation for everybody in the world to see, which is probably not going to happen. But, man, I think that would be incredible just for all of us as human beings of the other 350 million in our country that need to see those type of things and kind of believe in our country once again in this in this hope of, of what we are capable of and you know this unity that we're supposed to be all about I mean they call it the United States for a reason I, I don't think it's just talking about the, the pieces of land it's talking about the people so that was that was a really interesting distinction and something that came out of that conversation out of that roundtable that really kind of blew my mind uh, but I was proud to see uh, my service members 
say those things. And, and I truly believe that, maybe believe it even more, that I think the veteran community are going to be the ones that bring this country back together eventually. It's going to be, it's going to be us. We do it overseas. Uh, so why not here? One year after you wrote that anonymous letter to Colin Kaepernick, you penned another one, but this time it was to quote every single American. What was your message to every single American for those who did not see the letter? It was just, remember, remember a year ago when I had this conversation with Colin, how everyone, well, not everyone, but, but a lot of people sort of thought that was a powerful notion that he was willing to sit down and have this conversation. And, and that we were, we were willing to just listen to one of each other, to one another, excuse me. You know, that's it. That was, that was really all that was about, that moment in time. And then since then, you know, we've, we continue to pit ourselves against each other. And we, we're so obsessed, just like pulling for teams in sports, we're so obsessed with being on a side and picking a team and hoping your team wins, doing everything you can to, to be right. You know what I mean? We have this obsession. And it's because we're so competitive. I mean, it's, it comes from a good place. I mean, the fact that our country is so competitive is what makes us great. That's why we're, you know, amazing. You know, the freedoms that we have and the willing that we're, that we're willing to fight for these things. But when it comes to a lack of civility and just loving one another and listening to one another, um, we're struggling in that department. And, and that's all I'm asking for right now. That's all so many of the veteran community want right now because well, there's nothing more frustrating than going to fight for your country a country that you love and you believe in and then come home. And it's like, it's not so much that people don't say thank you for your service and appreciate that, but they're so wrapped up in their own arguments and conversations and pointing fingers and who's right and who's wrong and just hate groups from all sides. Uh, it, it hurts. It hurts to come home to that. You know, after you've spent time fighting for what this country is supposed to be about. So that, that was all. And that's all I'm asking on veterans day. You know, it's just, I just want us to love each other. That's all. I just want us to uh, to try to try to listen to your neighbor, meet your neighbor, get to know the person. Because just because they look different than you and think different than you doesn't mean they're uh, you know just wrong or bad or evil. Nate, this is why I want to connect with you. I want to ask you about your charity, MVP, Merging Vets and Players. What it does is it brings veterans and retired football players together. Can you bring us up to date with MVP? And specifically, what are you looking to do with your organization? I mean, it's been, it's been incredible over this last uh, couple of years here. I, coming up on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor, this will be our second, our, our two years that we've been in operation. I, I co-founded it with Jay Glazer and and now we've got Randy Couture on board and Ryan Leaf, and we're opening up chapters all over the country and reaching out to so many different um, combat vets and former professional athletes because, you know, that simple similarity between the two is, is that we both wear the uniform, you know, and we have an identity. We have this structure and purpose and team. And then our time and service ends or our playing career ends and the uniform comes off and immediately a lot of us just feel lost. We feel without purpose. And we don't know who we are, what we're about, uh, and we don't have that locker room. And that's all we're doing with MVP is we're providing that locker room. You know, And that, that's how it all started. It was just at the gym, at the Jays gym at Unbreakable in, in Los Angeles. They were, we were just bringing in vets. A lot of these guys were homeless. And, and some, some former athletes, we'd come work out together, and then we would sit around on the wrestling mats and just kind of talk, man, and just build each other up and, you know, help each other out that we're going through stuff. And it was no, like, I'm the coach and you listen to me. It was just the community. We were all helping each other, this peer to peer counseling. And then, then that is, that has grown into other 
service projects. Like during Harvey, we sent 12 veterans and a, and a former NFL player, Orrin O'Neill, up from Dallas down to, to Houston. And they were out there on boats, like rescuing people, you know, and, and like they were deployed again. That's how these vets felt. That's how they were talking about it. And they're like, I never felt so alive again. I had my team back and like my mission and this was great. And, uh, and so I mean, that's really what we're doing with MVP. That's how we're growing. We're, we, we've just now hired a new executive director, and we're, like, ready to really take off and reach out to as many vets as possible and athletes because there's that mutual respect between the two groups. And, you know, we've got uh, Mike McCarthy up in Green Bay supporting us in the Seattle Seahawks organization. During Salute to Service Month, all their, uh, their Salute to Service branded gear from the pro shop, they're giving a portion of the proceeds to MVP. Like, these teams are getting on board now, and, you know, we're looking for the league to get on board eventually, and this thing is going to really grow. We're going to help a lot of people. If somebody needs help or somebody would like to help out MVP, where do they go to do so? Where do they go to get more information? You go to vetsandplayers.org. That's V-E-T-S-A-N-D-P-L-A-Y-E-R-S dot O-R-G. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we get all that. Any information uh, you want to leave or uh, donations or um, you know ways you you want to help out, you want to be a part of this, and you, or you know somebody that needs help, reach out, connect with us, because, uh, I mean, that's, that's our new mission. That's our new purpose is to, to build this community back up. And, uh, you know, we just want everybody to, to feel like they have a home and, and know that they're not alone uh, no matter what. They get back, uh, you know, from a deployment, and, and uh, even if you're still in, you know, connect with us. Connect with us. Start that transition early because uh, we don't want to leave any of our brothers ha- hanging. I, I will never leave a fallen comrade is what we say in the Army. And, uh, and I'm sure there's something very similar to that in every branch. And uh, it should be the same way uh, with these athletes and people that are a part of this part of a team. And, you know, when that, that career ends very young, and, and we want you to know that you've got, uh, you've got a home, you've got a team waiting for you. Nate, thank you so much for your service and for your time, Nate. It was so good to get caught up. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jim. It's, uh, I really appreciate your support, man. You've always been great to me, and it means a lot. So thanks for having me on, and God bless America. Angular, cassis, opulent. If you're not familiar with those wine terms, congratulations, you are just like me. See, I don't care if wine clubs and critics babble on about herbaceousness. I just want to know, does it taste good? Luckily, I found First Leaf, the only wine club that's based on your tastes. I just received my First Leaf order, and there are some damn good wines here. Here's how this works. Customize your First Leaf order by selecting the color, wine regions, and frequency of your wine shipments. First Leaf then creates an introductory three-pack of wine to get you started. With First Leaf's introductory pack, you'll get three for only five bucks each. Normally, these bottles of wine go for $20 each, if not more. First Leaf is my new favorite way to rate and buy quality wine. To order your three-pack of introductory wine for 15 bucks, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash Rome. That's three bottles of wine for only $15 at tryfirstleaf.com slash Rome. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash Rome. And that's it for episode 12. Thank you very much for listening to the Jim Rome Podcast. If you have not done so already, you want to go check out the other 11 episodes. Trust me on that. Dana White, Adam Carolla, Dirk Nowitzki, Harvey Levin, Aaron Rodgers, and so many more. Great conversations and a simple button away. 
You already know how to subscribe and review and how much I appreciate that, but don't stop there. Hit me up on Twitter at Jim Rome. Let me know what you think and make sure you tag at NateBoyer37 in your tweet so he can respond to it as well. If you're a podcast-only listener and do not know about our radio program, you can always check that out daily as well, noon to 3 Eastern on CBS Sports Radio and streaming live on JimRome.com. Or you can catch it on demand via the Daily Jungle Podcast, which is also available through iTunes. Thank you very much for listening and supporting. Episode 13 drops on the 14th. You want to look for that. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you then. I'm out.